Hello, thank you for tuning in to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast. I am Al, here to waste some of your valuable time, and to help me waste your valuable time, my friend Chad. How are you today, Chad? Oh, I'm doing good, and when we say waste your time, I think that might be the truth this time. <laughs> yes, because as we talked about in one of our previous episodes, for because we're doing another It Came From Netflix, and... This is a movie that you saw and you suggested. It was called Revenge of the Bridesmaids. So That's catchy, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like it could be an interesting movie, and it's billed as a romantic comedy. Uh, the problem is I would not use either of those words to describe this movie, but we'll get to that. <laughs> and it's from uh, 2010. It was released for ABC Family, so one of those made-for-TV type movies. Yep. Uh, starring Raven Simone, who, or is it Simone? Raven Simone. Simone. And that's the only name I recognized because I think she was on some sort of a other cha- program on the Disney Channel. Yeah, she was on It's So Raven mm-hmm. on the Disney Channel. And if you really want to go back for our old listeners, she played the littlest girl on the Cosby show in the last seasons. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, hmm. yep. She was, uh, I think her name was Raven on there. Because, hmm. yeah, cause my, I remember when my son was younger and he would watch shows on Disney, uh, sometimes we would see, uh, yeah, That's So Raven, so uh, yep. the, at least the commercials for it. Uh, we never really got into the show. Uh, the other people at Stars, Joanna Garcia. Swisher. Da- yep, David Witt Rogers, uh, Chrissy Whitehead. Virginia Williams and Beth Broderick. I wonder if she's any uh, relation to, was it Matthew Broderick? Yeah, I don't know. But Possible. She yeah. was probably the best actress out of the entire show. Yeah, it, like I said, so the, because uh, I remember you said you thought this would be one of those movies where kind of like it's bad, but you can still enjoy it. Kind of like that's so bad it's good. Right. So let's talk about that phrase for a little bit, because that's one thing that, we hear people throw around that phrase, and I'm sure everyone has their own different interpretations of what so bad it's good means. To you, what is the phrase so bad it's good mean to you? Um, the Adventures of Pluto Nash. Okay, so that's an example of a movie where you think so bad it's good? Yes. Are you familiar with that movie? I've heard of it. That's Eddie Murphy, right? It is Eddie Murphy. It is the biggest box office disaster ever. Even worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space? Yes. It, wow. uh, to this day, even with sales of DVDs, it still has not made its money back. Oh, jeez. So how would you define, though, the term, so bad it's good? So bad it's good. See, and, and I guess, like you said, it's different for everybody. For me, I enjoy B movies. I, I guess saying bad movies doesn't really cover it. I enjoy B movies. I enjoy those movies that are, they've got a good concept, but they're made low budget. So like the the idea was there. It's just that the movie was poorly executed. Correct. Oh yeah. And it, it kind of reminds me, are you, well, sorry, you said before in our uh, bad guys episode, you weren't really a, a video. You're not really a video gamer. When you were what? younger, did you ever play a lot of video games? Um, I think the last system, well, I mean, I've owned a couple systems throughout the years with my daughters and I've played Wii and I've played Xbox 360, but I didn't do much of it. 
Um, the last system I played heavily on, are you ready for this? Okay. Atari 2600. Yep. <laughs> oh, so date, way to date yourself there, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, sorry, I won't rub well, that. You know, this past, this past weekend, I had my 40th birthday, so I'll tell people how old I am. Yep, that's, I, I'm 42, so we're, uh, well, I'm not 42, but I'm 40 uh, as well. So, yeah, we're the same age, so yeah, we're... Uh, we're over, are we over the hill yet, or are we just almost to the top of the hill, and then next year is when we finally go over? Yeah, you know, I don't know how that how they say that, but, you know, I, I look at it this way. I'm in the best shape I've been in in 25 years. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with being 40. That's good, and I mean, hey, it's it's what you make of it, and um, even though we're not quite to that age yet, uh, Muhammad Ali had a quote uh, well, it was, I don't remember when I read it. It was something on Facebook, but he's like, um, you know, a man who sees the world the same at 30, 30 as he does at 50 has wasted 20 years of his life. And But, yeah, I guess aging, it's what you make of it. And Absolutely. Uh, uh, there's this one uh, – a friend of mine posted a link on Facebook. It was a T-shirt someone was making, and it's like, you know, we, we should describe uh, age in terms of levels – because if you say that you're 80th level, it sounds badass. If you say that you're 80 years old, then it just makes you sound old. <laughs> yeah, yep, I saw that. But to get back on track, the reason I was asking about video games is when you talk about stuff that's so bad it's good, some of the games made by LJN for the Nintendo Entertainment System back in like the 80s, 90s, okay. some of them do fall into that category. Now, don't get me wrong. LJN made a lot of really terrible video games. But some of them did still have some things you could enjoy, despite the fact that it might technologically it might not be a good game. And I guess you could say when you talk about movies or TV shows, you might have something that's technically not a good movie, whether from, you know, like a cinematography viewpoint or script writing or acting or anything else. But there's still something there that you can enjoy, even right, if right. it's making fun of it. There, There's so many things that can make a movie bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have beautiful cine, cine, cinematography. You can have, um, you know, great musical score. And then you have a crappy actor. Yeah, like... One movie that kind of fits along the same idea, though I'm not, again, I, whether this movie is considered good or not is definitely up for debate. Did you see the remake of The Wicker Man starring Nicolas Cage? No. Again, beautiful cinematography. And the costume design was nice. The plot was terrible. And some of the acting was okay. I mean... Nicholas Cage, he's okay. I mean, I like some of his movies, but even he couldn't save that movie. It was mm-hmm. just, like I said, it was just terrible on every level, especially when compared to the original. But anyways. Right. Well, back to Revenge of the Bridesmaids. <laughs> so, I think they can tell by now we really enjoyed it. Oh, yes, we did. Extremely. <laughs> I, it's, we enjoyed it so much that we spent the last several minutes trying to get off topic and talk about other things so we don't have to talk about this movie. Now, I think it just as a to give you a basic idea of what this movie's about, the synopsis is that there are some uh, childhood friends who discovered that one of their friends from childhood 
is going to get uh, is going to get married, but then later they find out that she's not really marrying for love. So they don't want her to get involved in a loveless marriage. So they try to take her out. They try to, to you know talk her out of it, and that doesn't really work. So they you know they try some other things as well. And I apologize if I don't get the plot entirely correct. The movie really wasn't that wasn't really very memorable. Yeah, there, I would agree. It it didn't there was very few scenes that even grabbed my attention. And 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 you know, I'm one of these guys. I watched it once and I went, I don't I don't know what happened. Maybe I must not have been paying attention. So I watched it again. Yeah, and I, I, I have a feeling that the, I have a feeling the movie wasn't much better the second time around. No, it wasn't. In fact, it was worse because I'm like, oh, that's going to happen now. Yeah, and I do like the way the movie started. It had that guitar part from George Thorogood's song "Bad to the Bone" playing yep. while they were taking booking photos of the bridesmaids, yep. taking mug shots and them ripped up in their bridesmaid dresses. And yep, so that was probably about the best part of the movie. And I forgot the name of the cinematic technique, but it's when you start a movie halfway through the story so then they have to go and they have to flash back and tell you everything that led up to the uh you know to why these bridesmaids were in their ripped up torn up bridesmaid dresses being arrested right unfortunately the movie kind of goes downhill from there yeah i would agree with that i mean there were there were certain moments that i enjoyed where uh, where they had Raven Simone with the personal trainer, I thought that was kind of a funny little bit. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that part now where uh, they wanted her to lose weight, and yeah. yeah, it's like she wasn't having any of that, but she was trying. Oh yeah, because remember there's like she she was doing some sort of kickboxing thing, right? And I think she like accidentally punched the person <laughs> or knocked her down. Um, the only other scene that really stood out for me is they kidnapped one of the other bridesmaids and they had like one of her favorite shirts or something and they were threatening to pour you know stuff on it to find uh, out that the bride wasn't quote-unquote pregnant yes because uh and what they were doing is they're like you know we'll pour this soy sauce on it or, or whatever it was and then the the girl who was being held hostage was like oh i can get that off easy with you know whatever whatever we'll dump Stop this on it up. well i can get that off with this and then it's like blueberry jam and it's like oh then they finally realize oh wait there's no way to get this off of that expensive shirt and yeah that's where they find out that essentially the uh, you know, their childhood friend, Caitlin, she tricked her uh, her boyfriend, Tony, into thinking that she was pregnant because um, there was like a fake pregnancy test. Right. So, you know, and again, we find that Caitlin essentially just wants to marry him for his money. So the two main ones, Parker, and which was played by Joanna Garcia and Abigail, played by Raven Simone or Simone. I keep forgetting how to pronounce that. Uh, Raven. We'll just say Raven. There you go. And they had another friend. Um, uh, oh, what was her name? Yeah, um, that's the thing. It's it's hard to really keep some Rachel. of these. Yeah, it's just it's hard to keep some of these Pete names straight just because I said it. And maybe this is one of the reasons I felt it was a bad movie. I couldn't really connect with any of the characters 
most of them just didn't really prove that interesting. Yeah, even like like I said, the the most interesting character to me was uh, Olivia, which was Caitlin's mother, mm-hmm. played by Beth Brod- Broderick. She actually, I mean, that character was built. Yeah, she was she was a a witch, but you know she played the part, and and you believed it. With everybody else, it was like they were. In, in some of the cases, it, it felt like they were phoning the you know phoning the character in. It yeah. Just, Exactly. It's like their their performances just weren't there. It's almost like they were trying, but they weren't really into the role. Because sometimes you can kind of tell if an actor looks like they really enjoy playing that character. Uh, one good example I can think of is from Star Wars The Force Awakens. The new actors who are playing Poe, Finn, and Rey, they, at least from my in my opinion, they looked like they were having a really good time playing their roles, and I thought the three of them looked like they had a really good on-screen chemistry with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, someone else who, uh, speaking of someone who really got into the role and you could tell was definitely enjoying it, Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool, which I finally (laughs) saw, by the way. You finally saw it! Yes! And, you know, I have to say that uh, this is my opinion on my thoughts on Deadpool. I laughed myself stupid at the opening scene and then the movie started and it only got better from there. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, I really enjoyed some of the fourth wall breaking in it. Like when they tell, uh, uh, Nate, not Nate. Why did I say Nate? Um, Wade, that they're going to turn him into a superhero. And he's like, well, just don't make my costume green and animated. Right. And there was something else, uh, I forgot exactly what scene it was, but he's like, and do you think Ryan Ryan Reynolds got where he is by talent? Yes. Yes. They were looking, he was, they had a, what was it? A people magazine. And he was like on the, the front as the sexiest man alive or something. Yeah. And and Deadpool's talking about Ryan Reynolds. Like it's like, you know, like he's somebody else, which, you know, he's in his character. So he is somebody else, but. Oh yeah. And another one of my uh, favorite scenes in that movie, just another one of the good one-liners is, when he went to go get uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead and uh, Colossus to go help him, he goes to the X-Mansion and it's like, there's only two of you here. We, what, the studio couldn't afford to get to bring in anyone other, else? Right, yeah. That was, that was, um, that was good. Um, has it been long enough? Can we, can, we, uh, can we throw spoilers out there? Well, let's see. I, I think, yeah, it's probably safe. So uh, we're going to do a spoiler here. So if you have not seen Deadpool, uh, you might want to maybe fast forward a little bit. <laughs> okay, go. My favorite part is that opening scene when he's always looking for, um, oh, what was the guy's name? Francis. Not Francis. You know, and he's he's on the highway there and he's like, okay, I got I got five bullets <laughs> and there's nine of them. Well, that wasn't planning, you know, and he's like, and he goes through it. And he, as he's shooting them, you can see the numbers on the bullet. Yep. That was and, good. And wasn't there a scene in it like where a guy was trying to shoot him, but his gun was out of ammo and he's like, you should have counted your bullets. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, another one of my good scene, favorite scenes in there is uh, Deadpool's like, uh, when, when he first hooks up with, what was her name? Vanessa. Yeah. Uh, you know, it makes it look like, it makes you think that they're probably going to go 
you know, go, go sleep with each other. Right. But instead then in the next scene, it turns out they're playing skeet ball at, uh, you know, at some game center and he gets all those tickets and he gets the Voltron ring. Um, right. I like how they, they threw the, the action figure from the, you know, based on Deadpool from the, the, the Wolverine origins movie in there. Uh, yep. Good, good. Another uh, fourth wall breaking. Um, my, my my favorite one is when he figures something out. I don't remember exactly what the scene was, but he's like, imagine that we broke the fourth or we found it breaking the fourth wall of the fourth wall. <laughs> it's like I broke the 16th wall. Yeah. And then there was another good part. I really liked where he's going around killing all those people who might give him hints on how to get Francis. <laughs> And he's trying to run over that guy with the Zamboni. And he's yeah. like, I'm going to run you over in like five minutes. And then when he's crossing off people he killed, it's like Zamboni guy. Yep. But you know, it's it's funny too, because he kept asking for Francis. Well, nobody knew who the hell Francis was. Yep. Everybody knows him as Ajax. Exactly. And uh, I, I suppose we got to get back on topic and get back uh, to talking about, uh, uh yeah. Uh, if we want to keep this a short one, we need to get back on topic and get it over with. Yeah. So again, that's essentially the gist of it. Really? The movie. I mean, it just said, it just wasn't really well, very well written. And the, the gist of, Oh, before we forget one thing uh, with our bad guys episode, I mistakenly said that Deadpool was DC and it's Marvel, so that's my bad. Sorry about that. Happy now, Dawn? Anyways, let's continue. <laughs> Somebody called you on it, huh? Uh, yeah, it's uh, my friend Dawn called me on it. So there, Dawn, happy now, I admit. I made a mistake. But anyways, uh, mistakes, just like watching this movie. So Yeah. Uh, and I guess this is the thing that really, you know, I said just, the, the acting really wasn't that memorable, except, you know, as you said, the mother character. Right. I guess maybe I didn't find it very relatable because it's like everyone's taking a week off before the wedding and they're having all these scheduled activities and such. Yeah, it's and like, they're, they're locked down in the mansion. And I'm going, really? Because a week before my wedding, I was working. Exactly. Same <laughs> here. It's like before I got married, I worked up until the, the day before the wedding and then took a few days off after. And it's like, Oh, how? Well, yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, we left cause we, we weren't living in Wass at the time, but the wedding was here. Mm-hmm. So we left like three days before the wedding. And then we took a few days off after the wedding and then it was back to work, you know? Yeah. But I suppose if you're rich or, or at least trying to show that you're rich, I guess maybe that's what you do. But Yeah, you can afford to do that where it's like, yeah, you've got a week of you know scheduled you know, activities and such. So. so if there's anybody rich out there listening, we're not downing the way you do things. It's just not the way that Al and I know how to do it. Yeah, it's something that the average person really wouldn't relate to. But anyways, so – uh, as the movie goes on, it's like eventually the they kidnap the the bride Caitlin, and they make her drink a lot of tea because they're taking her to uh, a hospital. So they're going to force her to get a pregnancy test, so that way they can prove that you know she really wasn't pregnant, and trying to make prevent her from getting involved in this marriage. And it's like okay, I I realize when you watch movies, you gotta suspend your disbelief, right? But I mean, come on, if, if people show up at a hospital all dressed in brides, you know, made gowns and a bride's gown. Tied up. Yeah, and they've got someone tied up and they're like, oh, we need to get her a pregnancy test. Do you think they'd call the cops? 
Well, that that was the thing, though, is if we take a step back now, Parker had fallen for this cop, yep. uh, Henry, and so the cops were in on this thing with Caitlin and the 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 the, uh, the doctor, the nurse. They're all just like, I mean, they got everybody in this little town to like, you know, stack stack everything against Caitlin. Yep, and it's like, you know, any one of those, if they had any sort of true professionalism. Would never do that. Exactly. And then it's like finally as they they get to the end, they finally get to the wedding. And, you know, when things are kind of coming to light, uh, Tony essentially tells – that's the, the fiancé, the groom. Right. He tells Caitlin that, you know, oh, actually the family lost their fortunes and were poor. So, of course, then Caitlin, as if we didn't think she was a shallow enough character – decides, you know, oh, she doesn't want to marry him now, so she basically storms off, and then Tony ends up proposing to Rachel, and that he is still actually rich. It's like, okay, what kind of mind games are these people playing? Right, yeah, I know, it's... Exactly. So, anyways, oh yeah, then of course the movie has your typical romantic comedy type happy ending. Um, You know, Parker becomes an actor, uh, and then Rachel you know, gets married to Tony and Abigail ends up writing a book about, you know, her exploits here and, and sells it. So, uh, that the end. And and actually that was one of the best lines when she's sitting at the book selling Mm -hmm. and, and she's, and, and somebody asks her where she get her, where she gets her ideas from. And she says, it's all in here. And she points to her head and I'm thinking, yeah, it's (laughs) something in there. Yeah. And uh, so verdict, well, it's 95 minutes. So even if you have ni- absolutely nothing to do for 95 minutes. Take a nap. Yes. Uh, y- y- go take a walk or take a nap or do anything but watch this movie. I mean, I'd have to say if we rate this on a scale of one to five stars. Yep. I I think I'd give it maybe about a half. Ooh. Am I uh, being overly generous? No, I... I um. I was going to go with one, but maybe I'm being overly generous. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, audience out there, you could watch the movie on Netflix and then you can tell us, are we being overly generous or too generous, <laughs> you know, or not generous enough? But I guess maybe one of the reasons I couldn't get into it is I've never really been much into romantic comedies. Uh-huh. And with this particular movie here, of course, it was, as I said before, it was an ABC family movie. So they're aiming for a very specific type of audience, more yes, of a... Yes, my mother. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet either... you if I sat down and watched this with my mother, she would love this movie. Yeah, and I, I think... I mean, I watched it with my wife, and even she wasn't really getting into it. And My I wife mean... got up halfway through and left. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to say, though, when it comes to romantic comedies, I admit, I haven't seen a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Though, one that I did actually really enjoy was My Big Fat Greek Wedding. That was not bad. I I liked it. It it was well written and it had some you know interesting little comedy moments in there. I I think there's two things that really made uh, Big Fat Greek Wedding really work, and that is the first is it revolves around I think what was the main character Tula? I think her name was. Yeah, something like that. And then the 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 groom was Ian. And part of the the comedy that you get that gets worked into this movie is 
Uh, the first is that, you know, Tula falls in love with him and like at the start of the movie, she's kind of shy and, you know, very average looking. She really doesn't, you know, take a lot of effort improving her appearance. Right. And Ian, she sees as this kind of, you know, unobtainable guy. So she's still going to try to, you know, see if she can hook up with him. But I think the real big comedy that works for it is you've got this culture shock where, you know, Tula's family is large and religious, very boisterous, whereas Ian's family is smaller and a lot quieter. Right. Um, And I have to say some of my favorite parts in it was how, you know, Ian, of course, is trying to, you know, make a favorable impression with with, uh, Tula's father. Uh-huh. And you know he would she tried to learn a little Greek every now and then, and you know of course the brothers are uh are uh teaching him what not what he should, really shouldn't be yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah he they were working on some wedding invitations, and uh Ian says to one of his future brother in laws how do you say thank you in Greek and he tells him to say something, and he says it to the mother and his future mother in law and the subtitles are nice breasts. So then, like, the father and the, you know, of course, the father and the mother just go up to their son and just kind of smack him outside the head. Right. And another one of my favorite moments in that was uh, they were celebrating Easter. And he's, uh, Tula's teaching Ian how they say Happy Easter in Greek. And he says that to his future father-in-law, and he just mumbles something in Greek. And, you know, the subtitles are like, well, my people were inventing civilization. Your people were swinging from trees. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, and I think that's one of the things that really made my big fat Greek wedding work was the fact that, yeah, they, they had that big culture shock element in there. Right. You know, um, if we're talking about romantic comedies that, that we like, I think my favorite romantic comedy has got to be IQ. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. I have not. Okay, it it stars um, Meg Ryan, Tim Robbins, and Walter Matthau. Okay, Walter Matthau plays Einstein, and Meg Ryan plays his niece, and then Tim Robbins is this mechanic who's a genius. Of course, you know Meg's in, engaged to be married to some high end, you know, uh, teacher type thing. You know, she's really intelligent, but. It's set back in the, I want to say the 50s, so it's like, you know, everybody's like, yeah, she's really smart, but, you know, she needs to get married and have kids, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so they, they, of course, Meg Ryan and Tim Robbins, they fall in love with each other, and of course, there's Einstein, he's sitting there, you know, pushing everybody to be, to get these two together, and they make up this, um, to uh, to make this guy... Think or not to make him, but to make Meg Ryan's character think he's smart enough to be with her because she was kind of looking for the smart guy, you know. Mm-hmm. They come up with this. Oh, what was the name of it? It's a uh, one of one of Einstein's theories that have been proven wrong, and I can't think of it right now. Not the relativity, is it? Or no, no. not relativity. But anyway, um, they they write this paper on it proving that it that it does exist and he becomes famous within the community, you know, and stuff. And at the end, of course, it all – well, not quite at the end, but just before the end, it all falls apart, you know. And she's mad at him and she's mad at Einstein and all this. But it's a great movie. If you ever get a chance to watch it, I recommend it, especially, especially with your wife. Okay. It's, it's a really good one. But. Yeah, and uh, that's what with the – in a way that kind of reminds me with uh... – 
you know, big fat Greek wedding where one of the conflicts in there is that Tula's dad wanted uh, his daughter to marry a nice Greek boy. And when they find out that, okay, Ian's not Greek, you know, of course he's old school where he thinks that if a man wants to date his daughter, he has to ask, he has to ask permission. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then when they find out that Ian's not Greek, they try to, there's like a quick little montage where they try to set him up with these other guys. And of course, you know, Tula's revolted by all of them. So yeah, that's the difference though between Big Fat Greek Wedding and sounds like IQ and Bridesmaids is those movies were actually well written. Whereas, yeah, the uh, just Revenge yeah, of the Bride. That was the biggest problem with this movie is it. There was just nothing about it that was good. I mean, you can look past bad acting. You can look past mm-hmm. um, a bad script if you have good actors. You can look past you know a crudely shot made for TV movie if there's good acting and there's a good story. Yeah. No, oh, it, it had the trifecta of of no good. <laughs> and the thing is, though, and I know there's going to be people out there that will probably recognize the name of this movie I'm about to mention. And when I say that I did actually kind of enjoy it, there's probably going to be people that are going to be like, what? Have you ever seen the Tommy Wiseau movie, The Room? Does not ring a bell. Okay. I saw it at a friend's house on New Year's Eve. And if someone said, we're going to watch a movie called The Room, what would be your first impression? What kind of movie do you think it would be? I guess if if I'm thinking movies and the way they name things, The Room, I would picture kind of like, I guess the first thing that popped in my head was like a horror movie, like a panic room kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's what I thought too. I thought it was sounded like a horror movie. And as we were watching the movie, uh, the one of my friends was saying that's the guy who wrote it. Well, his Tommy Wiseau, he directed it, he produced it, he wrote it, and he starred in it. So he originally set out to make a romance dramedy type movie. But then when he saw the reviews that people were giving it, then he kind of backtracked and like, no, it's intended to be black comedy. And the thing about The Room is just some of the dialogue is kind of poorly written, but it still can be kind of funny. Uh, right. Then also there's just un- there's just plot threads that just kind of come in and go out and never get resolved. Now, the basic plot of The Room is Tommy Wiseau stars as a banker named Johnny, and he lives with his fiancée, Lisa. And, of course, they're planning on getting married, and um, they've got this next-door neighbor named Denny, who's a college student, and he's got his best friend, Mark. And, you know, just like – it's hard to explain. I mean, definitely see it if you have a chance. But okay. like, to give you an example of something that – you know, plot threads that just kind of come up but don't go anywhere. Uh, there's a scene where Lisa's talking with her mom – and she's saying how she doesn't really love Johnny anymore, and she's thinking of, you know, leaving him because, you know, he's, during this part of the movie, Lisa's been having an affair with Johnny's best friend, Mark. And her mother's like, you know, no, you should still stay with him because of the financial security, and, you know, having a, a family life is more important than being happy, and by the way, I have breast cancer, I definitely have breast cancer, and then, you know, goes on to, so it's like his mom, her mom just brings up the fact that she has breast cancer, Uh huh. and it's like, you, she might as well have just said, yeah, I had toast for breakfast. 
<laughs> I mean, if your mother told you that she had breast cancer, wouldn't you show a little bit more concern? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would think so. But, I mean, The Room is one of those kind of movies where even though it is a bad movie, don't get me wrong, you can still make fun of it and enjoy it. And it right. does throw a few little unexpected curveballs here and there. Now, as I said, it's a movie about a guy who's going to be getting married. There's this one scene where it shows Tom, uh, Johnny, uh, his best ma- his um, his best man, uh, Denny, and another one of their friends. They're sitting around in the living room, and they're all dressed in tuxedos. What do you think probably should have happened next? The wedding. Want to know what really happened? They went out to the street and started playing football while dressed in tuxedos. Of course, that's what I do. Exactly. That's one of the things where I said it just kind of threw you that little curveball where it's like, yeah, you thought, that's what I thought too. It's like, okay, they're in tuxedos. They're probably going to do the wedding. Uh, No, they run into the alley on the side of the house and they start playing football. You've never played tuxedo football, Al? I cannot say, I can say that I have never played football in a tuxedo. (laughs) I've played football in the snow, but never played football in a tuxedo. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, man. So, anyways. Uh, so, yeah, I think we definitely agree that uh, definitely don't go out of your way to see Revenge of the Bridesmaids. Correct. It's, it's a terrible movie. There's nothing really memorable or redeeming about it. But it has taught us a lesson, Al. And what's that? That is to not preview what movie we're going to do next. That is true. Because... <laughs> Otherwise, we could have watched this and we could have said, no, we're going to do something else. (laughs) Exactly. So we're not going to – we do have an idea for one of the next movies that we're going to do. So we will – so we're not going to – we're not going to uh, reveal that at this time because, you know, since we did say Revenge of the Bridesmaids, it's like, oh, we kind of have to do it now where we should. And, yeah, Yeah, we – Though I don't see the next movie as being something that's going to be a total disappointment, I – you know, you never know. That is true. I mean – I'm sure we've all seen a movie that we thought looked interesting and we thought it was going to be a good movie. Cloverfield. The first Cloverfield? Oh, yeah. The first one? Yeah. They made a sequel? Yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's in the theaters right now. I haven't seen it yet. I did not know that. I'll have to check that out. Well, it's not really a sequel. I guess it's in the same world. Okay, it's a spiritual successor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because, yeah, the Cloverfield, the thing I hated, I mean, I get what they were trying to do. They were I trying do. to they were trying to make a movie for the YouTube generation, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, everything's shot on, like, I mean, it, I could see how you could possibly try to do a movie like that where you're all shooting, you know, with smartphones and stuff. But, of course, the problem with that is, you know, everything's all shaky and just, yeah, the, the... Honestly, what they did is they made a movie to make me sick. Yeah, that's one of the biggest complaints I've heard people have about Cloverfield is you got to have a... You, you got to be resistant to motion sickness in order to watch that movie. Yes. Uh, I, that was one of my issues with it. My other issue was that everything online was saying it was a Cthulhu. It was a Cthulhu movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well... I mean, anybody that knows me knows I'm a Cthulhu fanatic. And it's like the monster shows up and I'm like, that, that's not Cthulhu. That does, yeah, that doesn't look like anything from the mythos. And Well, it does. If, if you want to get technical, if that was any mythos creature, it would have been Dagon. Okay. 
but it was not Cthulhu. I was I was sorely disappointed that I sat through that two hour movie, got sick as a dog, had vertigo for two days, and then I was Cthulhu <laughs> at the end. Exactly. So, well, I think we're gonna sign off for now. So, uh, I'd like to thank you guys for listening. And uh, Chad, if people want to read some of your ramblings, where can they go and find it on the internet? Oh, we can go to uh, Nut Up or Shut Up. That's my blog. It's at uh, nuosu.blogspot.com. And, of course, you can find me on poigamestudio.com. You can uh, visit Point of Insanity Game Studio on YouTube and see some of the videos I have up there. And, of course, please feel free to stop by Point of Insanity Game Studio on Facebook. Feel free to like the page. I do appreciate it, and as we are getting closer to episode 100, I do have something planned for that episode, but if uh, any of you out there have any ideas for topics you'd like to see uh, covered on the show, or maybe if you have an idea for a movie and you'd like to know what Chad and I think about that movie, if it's something on Netflix, feel free to contact me through the page, and we'll certainly, certainly consider it. Though, hopefully it wouldn't be. It's nothing like Revenge of the Bridesmaids was. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, everyone. And have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And, well, like I said, we didn't really talk about gaming, so happy movie watching.